0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: BFM 89.9, 7.07 a.m. on Thursday, the 9th of March. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Keith Come In half an hour, we're going to discuss whether Prime Minister Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim can retain and grow support from the middle ground. But as always, we're going to kickstart this hour with a look at how global markets closed overnight.
0: Yeah, so uh, on Wall Street, stocks ended sort of flat-ish, and it follows Tuesday's Tuesday's sell-off, which was spurred by comments from Fed Chairman uh, Jerome Powell, who was hinting at higher interest rates for longer. The Dow Jones closed 0.2% lower, the S&P 500 was up 0.1%, and the Nasdaq closed 0.4% higher. Uh, But earlier in the day, Asian markets, um, they were generally red, but the Nikkei was up 0.5%. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong was down 2.4%, also because of the Fed comments because the Hong Kong dollar is pegged to the US dollar. Uh, Shanghai's composite was down 0.1% and Singapore's STI was down 0.6%. Back home, our FBM KLCI was down (laughs) 0.3%.
1: For some insights on what's moving international markets, we have on the line with us Brian Arcees, Portfolio Manager and Equity Analyst at Ford Asset Management. Good morning, Brian. Thanks for joining us today. Now, U.S. equities tumbled on Fed Chair Jerome Powell's comments that rates may go up further and longer than once expected. What would be the investment thesis for holding on to stocks in such a scenario?
2: It's a great question. I really highlight two points here. I mean, first, Powell's comments really shouldn't have been wholly unexpected. I mean, we've been highlighting and chatting about it for several months, even quarters, that inflation, particularly when it rises above 6% and gets pushed into the services component and wages, is really difficult to put back in the bottle. So as you mentioned, I mean, rates are likely to go both higher than investors expect and stay there for longer. But to answer your question more directly, it is important to build what we call an all-weather portfolio, not take binary bets on either asset classes or individual securities. So over the long term, equities, particularly those with pricing power or claims on real assets, are really the main asset to own to hedge against inflation. So while equities are likely to be volatile, we still believe uh, that they're expensive and investors need to be cautious. We certainly would not recommend being 0% in equities. Investors Mm -hmm. still need to be invested there.
0: Brian, volatile means good, right? I mean, there are opportunities to take uh, profit. Uh, Obviously, the risks are a little bit higher. What are your thoughts on that?
2: No, exactly. I mean, how we chat about it, we don't really view volatility itself as risk. And I think that is very important to highlight. Volatility can be as much opportunity as it is risk. So for investors, the real risk is losing your capital permanently. So focus on investing in high-quality companies. And when that volatility gives Gives you an opportunity uh, to invest, then then you're able to take advantage of that.
1: Let's compare, um, I guess, equities between the U.S. and Asia. We do see that forward price earnings on Asian stocks are about 13 times, while the U.S. market valuation is nearly 19. Would you say that valuations in this region are modest and have some room to go up?
2: We, we do. We do. So in our global portfolios, we are overweight relative to kind of a global equity benchmark in Asia in general um, and also in, in China, as we have chatted previously. But certainly both on an absolute basis, we think there are room for there is room for Asian equity valuations to increase. And then secondly, certainly relative to U.S. valuations that we also view as expensive. Uh, there's room to to close that gap. Mm.
0: Uh, Brian, uh, the Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index is up a modest 2 point, uh, 2% year-to-date. year, year to date. Uh, What sort of growth momentum do you see on a China recovery? How, how do you see Hong Kong stocks performing this year?
2: Yeah, so in our mind, there's still a tailwind for Hong Kong equities. I mean, coming out of kind of the fall of last year, November, December, when the market did quite well, it's sensible for it to, to take a pause. But that reopening that's happening will certainly continue. It will obviously benefit China, Hong Kong, quite linked to China, and Asia more broadly. Um, but if we look at long-term valuation averages, that long-term uh, price-to-earnings multiple in China has typically averaged sort of 12 times, which is still about 15 to 20 percent higher than where we are today. So certainly equities have rebounded off of the seven to eight times earnings where they were trading really at the bottom of, in the fall of last year. But from here, with that tailwind, we do continue to expect there to be upside in, in Hong Kong
0: equities. Uh, Brian, I also do see uh, the, uh, the Hang Seng Index um, sort of tracing what's happening in the U.S. Uh, with regards to uh, higher interest rates. How do you see this playing out vis-a-vis it's uh, its linked to China, China's recovery?
2: Yeah, so it's basically, I mean, it's, it's certainly linked... To to both. (laughs) So it will take it on the chin uh, at least um, at a point in time as U.S. interest rates are going up or investors fret about interest rates continue to go up. But ultimately, I mean, we need to dive down into the individual equities that investors would be looking at. But there are plenty of equities that would be quite well linked to China, for example, and China's reopening, um, particularly on the travel side, just as an example. That wouldn't have a link uh, to the US. So while they may temporarily underperform as those interest rate fears kind of continue to bubble, I mean, ultimately, the fundamentals of the the underlying companies and the earnings coming through should lead to reasonable tailwind for performance as we move through the, the year.
1: Can we take a look at how uh, Japan is doing with Japan's Nikkei two two five? It's been an uncharacteristic performer in the region, up about ten percent this year, I believe. Do you, what's your outlook on Japanese equities?
2: Yeah, no, it, it certainly has. It certainly has. I mean, the, the reopening of the Japanese economy has aided as well. I mean, monetary policy still continues to provide uh, a decent amount of liquidity which is helping markets there also. I mean, certainly in local currency, in yen terms, it's done quite well. If we translate it into dollar terms to sort of equalize returns across markets, it's still done well, but but certainly not as well. It's sort of up about 4% in dollars. I mean, it is a great market to invest in. It still has a number of demographic headwinds, um, but there are plenty of high-quality Japanese companies that do sell domestically, but also primarily sell globally. So companies in the pharmaceutical sector, for example, or in the automation sector, where the lion's share of revenues are actually generated outside of Japan. Um, but those companies are still trading at sort of discounted valuations. Um, so for companies like that, we're quite happy to invest and do think that, that there will be, uh, that it's a reasonable time for Japanese equities generally.
0: What's your take on uh the BOJ's actions uh, with regards to interest rates and how inflation is is uh, going on in Japan?
2: Yeah, I mean I think that's obviously that's that's the piece that everyone is watching. I mean, to date we haven't seen really much of any move um on the interest rate side. I mean, interest rates have moved up, largely being pushed there by investors, but inflation uh has moved up even more quickly. For Kind of the foreseeable future in Japan, we still continue to see inflation running above interest rates and the BOJ uh, continuing to run still relatively loose policy. But as we move through the year, um, we need to watch inflation and I think it will be quite data dependent.
1: Um, let's end on the question of energy, Brian, because we have seen that energy stocks um, aren't performing quite as well as they did on previous uh, years. I mean, do you think there are still good reasons to stay bullish on energy stocks? Yes, yes,
2: we do. We do. I mean, I guess the first thing is we have to remember the sector was one of the best performing last year, along with materials and commodities. And then secondly, as, we, as fears of a recession kind of begin to be priced in, portions of the equity market, and really a recession caused by rising interest rates and the the rapid tightening of monetary policy, really weighs on sentiment within that energy complex. But if we take sentiment aside, I mean, fundamentally, we've come through quite a long period of significant underinvestment in the traditional energy complex, including uh, fossil fuels. So while we will transition to renewables, the transition, it's likely to take far longer than what's currently priced in to many portions of the the equity market, in particular in energy. Demand will continue to be quite strong and and will likely outstrip supply on a medium-term view. So we think some of the volatility in that energy space is actually creating a reasonable time for investors that hadn't invested there last year to now begin to, to enter that energy complex. I mean, they are trading at quite reasonable valuations in our mind.
1: Brian, thanks very much for speaking with us. That was Brian Arce's Portfolio Manager and Equity Analyst of Ford Asset Management, giving us his take on some of the trends that he sees moving equity markets in the days and weeks ahead. I'm sure all eyes are going to be on what the Fed is doing. I think this week it's all been about parsing through what Jerome Powell has been saying to Congress. Uh, the fact that... Uh, Interest rates could be going higher for longer is something that's finally sinking into the minds of the markets.
0: I can't believe, but it does seem like uh, every central bank is playing chicken with each other. You know, uh, who raises interest rates quicker, who raises interest rates more. But uh, at the same time, uh, like you said, you know, volatility is not really a, a risk thing. It could be an opportunity, which is something I learned from EPF as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, speaking of central banks, we are waiting to hear from Bank Nagara. Their mm. Monetary Policy Committee is uh, convening. Today, Today. Yesterday and today. So we'll wait to see what they will do about uh, the OPR here. Uh, But let's take a look at some of the headlines that we're seeing from the uh, international corporate front. We do have some headlines on Apple. Uh, Bloomberg sources reveal that Apple is reshuffling management of its international business to put a bigger focus on India. So this will mark the first time that India becomes its own sales region at Apple.
0: Yeah, um, there's also been a, a shift of product manufacturing to India. I think most key to it is uh, Foxconn Technology. They have the biggest, i was it the iPhone, uh, one of the biggest manufacturers in, in China for for Apple. They are set to invest about $700 million on a new plant in India, where they're going to ramp up uh, local production there. Um, this is underscoring increasing efforts to shift manufacturing away because of... Uh, what's seen as the Washington-Beijing tension.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering Mm. what other big names could be following suit in making India the new frontier, essentially. 7.18am, we are going to head into some messages, but we'll come back to cover more top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9.
0: You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.